Hello everyone and welcome to this extra special bonus episode for International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia and I am super super excited to welcome this week's guest Uh, and also an apology I guess that this is by far the longest episode I've ever put out but actually do you know what I'm not even sorry about it because it's such a fun conversation with this guest and I think um well, you're here for yourself. It's, it was just such an um, enlightening conversation, I guess. And we really touch on personal experience, uh, discrimination, uh, the benefits of the imperial versus metric system. I mean, really, there isn't anything <laughs> you could possibly want from a podcast that's not in this episode. So, yeah, I really hope you enjoy it. And I, I do want to, I guess, just start with a bit of a, um, I guess, a disclaimer that obviously we have guests on and they share their personal experiences. And obviously International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia and Transphobia, that is, I guess, a massive umbrella and lots of experiences. And this is Token's personal experience. And so it's not going to be the same for everyone who fits under that umbrella. So it is just one kind of personal experience. But I think the way that Token expresses particularly the um coming to terms of being gender fluid I think is so I think it's just uh it really I think helped me to understand a lot more as far as it's possible (laughs) to what that experience maybe would have been like so I think it's really going to be really informative um, and enlightening for people and hopefully lead to a bit more understanding and a bit more kindness um because I think particularly under that whole area of gender, there is just such, um, yeah, <laughs> such an area. I think there is still a, so much discrimination. There is uh, still so much uh, in terms of misconceptions. And that's obviously a lot of what we're about is challenging those misconceptions um, and having these conversations. And um, I just really hope that you, uh, yeah, that you that you get a lot from this conversation and hopefully also reach a point of more understanding and more compassion I guess for for other people and their experiences so I really hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed it and uh, <laughs> it was a two-part conversation because we I mean honestly I could have kept chatting to Token all day uh, so I really hope you enjoy it and I'll be back just very briefly afterwards. Hi everyone, I'm really excited to welcome this week's guest, Ryan, to the podcast. Ryan, no, welcome. I'm, I'm waving, uh, nobody can see me waving. <laughs> I can see you. So w- welcome to the podcast, and if you could introduce yourself to the listeners and tell us a little bit about you. Sure. All right, well, my name is Ryan Ward. Um, if you follow me on any social media, you know me as Token Carney. I don't actually use my name, I kind of use a my screen name, I guess, to separate it and make it more easy to follow. So. I am currently based in California in the USA, and God, I don't know where to start. I didn't even think about that. So I'm a blogger, uh, podcaster, whatever you want to call it, that kind of got my start this year because my life was a mess and I needed to do something different. So for me, I had, I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland, which is right by Washington, D.C., for those that aren't familiar with it. And then I moved to the uh, Orlando, Florida area, so 
I basically moved from one Disney to the next when I moved out here. So that's <laughs> been interesting. Um, and it just kind of got to a point where I finished my university. I had been working and I realized that I needed a change in my life. My mental health wasn't where I wanted it to be. My career wasn't where I wanted it to be. And I decided that I needed to do something about it. And that's kind of where I ended up here. So yeah, and I guess we'll just get further into it from there. Yeah, amazing. And um, I think you know, mental health, obviously that's something we talk about a lot on the podcast and mental wellness. And I know we'll kind of get into that a bit more. You know, when you finish university and you get to that point, it can have like a big impact, can't it? Because you spent your whole yes. life at that point, like, oh, I'm get, I need to get this done, get this done. And then you finish and you're like, uh, <laughs> what happens now? I graduated from high school in 2008. I graduated from university in 2012. So I'm 29. Um, and it was one of those things where if I had to go back to university now, I would love it because I could continue learning and doing more things. When I graduated, I was like, get me out of here. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. And I went to school for theater. Like, I don't have a super difficult degree. Like, theater is hard. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot that goes into it. But it wasn't, you know, one of those things where I had a bad university experience. Like, I had a good experience. I was just like, I'm done. I don't want to do this. So I went and started working and then I was like, oh, the real world sucks. Like, I don't, I don't like this. And so it just, it just got to a point where it's like, if I don't change it, nothing's going to happen. So mm. it's a weird time to be alive. Yeah. And, and I think sometimes when we, we, I guess, do like a little stock check of where we are in life and how work is and that kind of thing. Sometimes we have that, oh, this isn't quite what I wanted or what I expected or it's not quite working for me and then like you said something then has to change or it's gonna stay the same that's 100% what happened for me I was in like before this whole cross-country trek happened I was in a relationship for almost three years and I was miserable like I thought I was in love I thought I was happy and then I realized that I had been giving up who I was. I was giving up my interests. Um, I went to school for theater, so I have a theater degree and then I am, by trade, I was a circus performer. So that's what I did. I was a trapeze artist. I had worked with quite a few different companies. I was mostly coaching. I owned my own company in a while, teaching, and it just kind of got to the point where I realized I wasn't performing anymore. I wasn't training to make myself better. I was teaching other people and I was trying to just like survive in the rat race and I wasn't doing a good job. Um, and then I had my, my ex, it just, it got bitter. Like there was this, it felt like I wasn't good enough to do that. My career wasn't good enough. I wasn't making enough money. Um, I was working multiple jobs. I was doing a lot of things. And in the relationship, it got to the point where it was like, I was limiting who I was. I wasn't expressing myself through my clothing. I wasn't expressing myself how I wanted to. It was like a, this is what my partner expected me to be. And I, if I didn't fit in that mold, I wasn't good enough. And it just got to a point where I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. You don't love me for who I am. You have this idea of what you want. And if I can't be that, do you actually want to be with me? 
it was a very ugly time and um, the relationship was very, very toxic and mentally straining. But I don't want to talk ill will of, you know, my ex because I want to be better than that. But it just, it got to a point where it was like, tap out, I'm done, the, like this needs to end. And I moved out, I couch surfed for a few months. We, our lease wasn't over for another like eight months. So I was literally just like, I slept in my car for a little bit. I slept on friends' couches and I just kind of bounced back and forth. I got into a car accident and my car was totaled. I was fine, but the car was not. Um, and I ended up biking to work. So I would bike 14 miles one way, 14 miles back in the middle of winter, which Florida winter is not terribly cold, but it's enough to not enjoy yourself. And I was doing that because I had to, and it just got to the point where it's like, this sucks. So once I sat down and thought about that, my family really helped. They let me move back in with them for a hot minute. Um, and after that, I, I came to California for a conference, came home, and it was like, I'm moving to California. And I packed everything in a rental car and just left and started over. And it has not been an easy journey, but it has definitely been the best thing I've ever done. And it, I'm a huge, huge advocate when people are like, oh, I just need to change something. I don't know what to do. I'm like, just do it. Don't worry about it later. Just know where your end point needs to be and just go. So. Amazing. I mean, there's so much that I want to talk about from what you've said, and I'll probably forget some of it. <laughs> don't worry. I like talking about it, so we're fine. The first thing, and and obviously, again, I don't want to speak ill, um, you know, of your, of your ex and of that situation. Um, but I think sometimes we're, when we're in relationships, um, and I don't know whether they explicitly made you feel that you weren't good enough, or whether it was, I think sometimes... Oh, it was, it was both. There was, um, I didn't, I don't want to be terribly graphic about it, for, you know, I don't want to um, potentially trigger anyone who's been through a, a similar experience. I don't want any of those things. But it, it got to the point where there was specific words that were like, if you, specifically pertaining to my weight, where they were just like, if you don't look like this or you keep doing this and dressing like that, like, I don't want to be intimate with you because it's not attractive. So it was at the point where if I physically, mentally, whatever, didn't fit into this mold of masculinity, of, um, I mean, just like my hair is obviously very long right now. I've been growing it out. When we were in the relationship, it was short and they flat out told me that they wanted me to look like a man because they didn't want to be with me otherwise. They weren't attracted to me. And I was just kind of like, but it's hair. Mm. So it was, it was very much a, it wasn't just me reacting yeah. and, and taking it that way. It was a little bit of both. Mm. Yeah. And I don't want that to, to minimize anyone who has that internal. Exactly. Good enough. Because that is, you know, a, a legitimate feeling as well. It can be from behaves, but there is a difference, I guess, in if someone is explicitly saying to you, Mm -hmm. that as well and and I think that in relationships is so important to feel that you can show up as yourself and you can be who you are and whether that's dress or, or look how you want or just be able to express your interests I think there's something really powerful in being able to show up like that and so I hope mm -hmm. that now you're in a, a oh I'm way better my um it is very early for us here over in the well by very early it's like 10 a.m when we're recording this, but uh, my partner is asleep in bed. I'm dating someone new. They are the best I could ever ask for. Um, this year has been difficult since January started because I have a herniated disc, so I'm 
relatively disabled as far as mobility goes, and they have been here to take care of everything, no questions asked. So it's been a complete 180 of, I'm gonna help you with everything I can. Um, I like when you do things that make you happy. Like it's less about, I find you attractive because you look this way, and I find you attractive because you're genuinely happy with who you are. And that's, like, it sounds so insignificant, like so small to hear that, but it is such a huge, huge difference. Mm -hmm. um, and something that plays into that really well, if you're not familiar with love languages to anyone listening, learn them because it's really difficult to have a healthy relationship with anyone, with yourself, with other people, if you don't understand the ways that you receive and give love. Mm -hmm. um, my ex and I had very different ways of, of receiving and giving love. So it was, it wasn't that we didn't care about each other. It's that we were trying to love each other the way that we wanted to be loved. And you can't do that. Like it doesn't mm -hmm. work. So that added to the stress of it. And by no means am I trying to, um, to like excuse and, and be like, oh, that you weren't abusive because of these things. Like the tendencies were toxic. The tendencies were abusive. But what good does it do me as someone who's trying to move past and heal to just be like, yeah, they sucked. They were a miserable person and they were an abuser. Like that dwelling on that doesn't help me. I have to let it go to move past it. That's not saying that I forgive them. That's not saying that I've ever put myself back in that situation, but it's more of like a, this isn't serving me. This isn't adding to the quality of life that I want. Therefore, I do not need to focus on it. And I think that's a really important thing for people who do have um, emotional, mental, whatever trauma that they're going through to understand if this isn't adding to your quality of life, get rid of it. Pull a Marie Kondo. Like, does this bring you joy? No. Bye. Mm. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think like sometimes we can hold on to stuff. Someone's wronged us in some and, and it might be a legitimate, you know, someone was out of order, they were abusive or whatever. But if we're holding on to it, we're hurting ourselves really. Like they've possibly moved on with their life and, and whatever, but we're Oh, 100%. They were in a relationship very shortly after we broke up and I know they're not thinking about me. So why mm. should I, like, what good does it do me to think about them? Mm. You know? So I'm really glad that you're in a, um, a happier, healthier relationship now. Was that weird to adjust to having come from a, a toxic setup? To oh, 100%. <laughs> 100%. There's still certain parts of the relationship that I'm just kind of like, is this thing on? Is this real? Like it, it second guesses for a second. Um, I am a very blunt and open person. I love my profanity. I love to swear. It's taken everything in me to be professional right now because that's just how I am. I'm very expressive and I like to, um, I don't like to limit myself at all. That's just, I don't think you should have to as a person. Like life is short. It can be miserable. Make the best of it. So going from someone who physically told me um, one of the worst things we ever did and that, well, not worst things we ever did, but one of the, the big things that stuck out to me was obviously about my hair because my hair is very important to me. And I know that can sound superficial, but like, I love it. It's the same as when um, women want to wear makeup for themselves or like a, a particular jewel or anything. Like, I just love my hair. I like to braid it, style it, everything. I got that big old Viking hair and it's fun for me. Um, but the other side is we went to a wedding shortly before we broke up. It was like a week or so before I was like, I'm done. And I got dressed up 
and I had not been doing circus. I had been really stressed out. I got laid off from my job because it closed. So I was like trying to figure everything out, figure out where I was going to go, what I was going to be doing for work. And it was just very stressful. And we got dressed for the wedding and he looked right at me and pats me on the stomach and he goes, you gained a bit of weight. You look kind of gross. And I was just kind of like, excuse me? Because we were dressed up and we don't normally dress up. I'm an athlete. So gym shorts and tank tops is my way of life. And it was just the fact of I'm wearing something that I normally don't wear. I cleaned up as best I could. And the first thing you say is you look fat. And that just sucked the life out of me, basically. So to go from a situation like that, where I'm with someone now who I look like a bum 90% of the time and cannot, cannot keep his hands off of me. Like all the time, Walk anytime that I'm walking past the kitchen or anything, if he can make a grab at any part of my body, he's going to. And that going from a, I want nothing to do with you because I don't find you physically attractive to wait, you're too far away. Come here so I can grope you. Like there's a difference between the two and it's, it's, it's weird. Um, the complete emotional atmosphere is weird. It's very odd to go from a relationship where you don't feel loved to being in one where someone is literally all the time telling them, telling you that they love you. Like it's a, it's a weird, um, dynamic dichotomy. What's the word I'm looking for here? It's, it's weird. And, uh, it's just kind of, I feel incredibly lucky. And we did have our hard parts because my partner now is seven years younger than I am, which isn't a huge deal. Like we're both adults. It's fine. Um, but there's definitely a, a mentality change of how people carry themselves in their age groups. So learning that, and then he has had the same issue where he has also come from a relationship that was not as loving. So for both of us, it's kind of, we've had this weird, not issue, but this weird sense of, wait, is this real? And we have to, to work through that. Like I'm in previous relationships, I was very aggressive isn't the right word, but I got heated very quickly. I'm very passionate. And in this one, if we get into an argument, I don't raise my voice. I don't yell. It's just kind of like, hey, this upset me and here is why. And if, if we don't understand something, and I know a lot of this has to do with me learning from what I don't want in a relationship to know what I do want now to, to have this like, I'm upset because of the situation. What are we misunderstanding about each other? What is the lack in communication? Let's fix it. Um, I've also gotten very good at if I am genuinely angry, which I don't really think I've been angry in this relationship. Like it's very carefree, which is lovely. Um, if I am ever really, really mad, I've gotten to the point where I'm just like, I need a few minutes to calm down and then we can reassess this conversation. And that's been a definite different change, like a huge game changer in like a when we're upset, both of us just, we don't want to say anything immediately. It's like we need to collect ourselves to do it. And I feel like that's a very helpful way to continue the relationship growing because neither of us say anything that's going to be damaging out of frustration rather than like, it's not going to fix the situation. If I'm just like, you're stupid. I hate you. Um, like, why'd you do this? And we'll walk away and we'll come back and be like, yeah, this was really dumb. Can we talk about why? And then it works better. So yeah, yes, to answer your question very long-windedly. Yes, it's different. <laughs> But it sounds like there's a lot of um, trust and security, I guess, that, you know, when you have a disagreement or don't see eye to eye, that you can 
talk about the reasons why and what you're going to do about it. And I think that can be quite difficult to have those conversations. So it shows that level of trust and respect. Some of the conversations that we have are still really difficult. Like it's relationships are not easy no matter what. And that doesn't, that could be romantic, professional, family, whatever. Relationships in general are hard um, because humans in general are flawed. We, we have pride, we have misunderstanding, we have internal racism and prejudice, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it's definitely makes things easier when you can both come to a level playing field and understand this isn't me attacking you, this isn't you attacking me, this is us understanding that this is a problem. And a big, big change that I've noticed in this relationship is that when there is an issue, regardless of it's between us personally or our surroundings, whatever, it's not me versus him. It's the two of us against the problem. And that is honestly something that I can recommend for anyone. If you're ever in a situation, don't take it personally. Like literally remove yourself emotionally from the situation and just be like, what do I have to do to get my desired result? And then I'd go from that situation. And, and the fact that my partner now and I both view things like that is is huge. Like it's a huge, huge um, asset to how our relationship works. Well, I'm, I'm so pleased that you're in this much healthier, happier. It doesn't feel real, so I'm very thankful. <laughs> I think the other thing I wanted to say about the, the kind of fresh start uh, idea, um, and so my, I've got reasonable geographical knowledge of the U.S. Um, Don't worry, I'm useless at it outside of the U.S. too, so we'll <laughs> help each other. Yeah, so because Florida is what, east? Coast. Yes, Florida is the bottom of the East, bottom Coast. Of East Coast. And California is Midwest It's, um, well, if you're well, looking at, at the map of America, it is the bottom and middle of the West Coast. So it's like the West Coast, and you have like Washington above it. So there's only the two things over there. Whereas on the East Coast, you have like 15 states. It's much mm. larger. But yeah, I'm, I'm literally both yeah. ends of America. And that's quite a long distance. I mean, 2,500 miles. Yeah. So how long? If you were, just for, for reference, if you were to drive from... Oh, I did drive. So when I drove, okay. I drove in three days. I did the whole thing, which is very difficult. So it's 2,500 miles, roughly. Um, and I drove my first day from Florida to Texas. It was a 16-hour drive. And then I slept for like eight hours, six hours, something. And then I left and I got to Arizona. So from Texas to Arizona, because Texas is huge. It can take you like a day and a half just to drive Texas alone. It's like an 18 hour drive. Um, so from Texas to Arizona, it took me, I left at 11 a.m. and I got to Arizona at like midnight, 1 a.m., something like that, like where I was driving through. Um, and then from California, from Arizona to California was only like another six hours. So I did it in three days driving, literally like I drove, I slept, I drove, I slept. And one night I slept in my car because I was like, I just want to get it done. Um, mm. Because where I was moving, I had to be there by a specific date to sign my lease. So I was just like, I just need to get it done. Most people, when they drive from Florida to California, they take their time and it takes them about four days to a week to drive it comfortably. I did mm -hmm. it in like two and a half. Yeah. So it's, it's long. It's long. I'm just thinking like the UK, I, I reckon you can drive from the most southern, southwesterly point 
up to the other end I think within 24 hours easily I'm I want to say about 12 to 18. Well to put it into a perspective with flights to fly from California to Orlando and that's not counting driving from like my house to the airport and stuff like that but flying from airport to airport the fastest you can do it is like five and a half hours that's the fastest that's a direct flight you aren't stopping for anything it is non-stop um when we flew home for one of the holidays that we had our flight one way was seven and a half hours without a layover and then the other flight back with the layover was like 10 something hours so it's it's not a short distance i mean i think if, if i flew to the states it's like 12 hours yeah i'm sure i've flown somewhere in like eight hours Mm -hmm. If you do direct, I know that they do from um, New York to to London, I think it is. Mm -hmm. You can get like a seven and a half to eight hour flight, but on yeah. average, it's between like nine and 12. So yeah. it's yeah. roughly the same distance, roughly. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose doing the, the three days intense, that's not only you, you having this massive change where you're moving somewhere new, you've got three days in a car kind of by yourself to my dog it was me and my dog oh <laughs> to kind of I guess like start processing this big change that you're making I mean you can say you can start processing it but you don't mm -hmm. it was it was very much a blur it was insane to just do it because I packed everything New Year's Eve so I'm like I was packing the car I came in I, my, my sister and I shared a drink and a slice of pizza and then I went back, finished packing the car, went to sleep, woke up at 9am and left by 9.30. Um, I was just like, bye. And um, it didn't hit me until I got into, like, I was in Louisiana, I think. And I was just like, holy crap, I'm starting over and I was in California for a good like week or two before it actually registered in my head that like hey you live here now like you started over mm. um, and that was just wild it was absolutely mind-blowing to just be like you just packed everything that you could like not even everything I own some stuff is still at my parents house but I packed pretty much everything that I thought I needed into a rental car and just dipped I imagine there's something quite powerful in in having a fresh start but somewhere so far away and so different because it's almost that like I can be whoever I want to be here and that's basically what happened I so after my relationship ended I changed my name so I don't go by my first name I use my middle name um and I it's been hard for some people at home to change to it like my family still calls me by my first name um and because to them that's what I've always been but it was more of like a identity change for me in the process of the relationship ending I realized that I was gender fluid so I don't fit into the binary spectrum um which was very difficult because the perception that most people have is that if you do fit into like the non-binary thing you're this weird well saying you're weird is obviously harsh but um you're this in between, you're neither male nor female, you're not trans, you're not this, you're just kind of gray area. And I don't really fit into that description. 
I physically look very masculine. I am six foot four. I'm very broad. Um, I'm large. I have masculine features, um, but I don't carry myself that way. I have neon purple hair. I wear makeup when I want to. Sometimes I wear really masculine, like gym short clothes. Other times I wear very flowy feminine clothes. It really just depends on how I'm feeling. And that's why it was hard. So for me, it was more of like a, my body is masculine, but I am androgynous. Like I, it's this weird in between. So learning that was difficult. And so moving out here, it was part of a, like I got so far away from everyone that I could start over. I could change my name and there was none of this. I was not going to run into someone who knew me before who was going to accidentally dead name me, use the wrong name, whatever. And then people would be like, quick question, what? Um, there was none of that. It was a complete, like, no one knew me. Um, I mean, and I obviously still stay in touch with people back home and everything. And a lot of them have changed their perception of me. They've changed their name. They understand. And the biggest comment I get from people is they're like, you look so happy. You look so different. And it, I think it's a huge, huge testament to the fact that you have to live your truth. And as harsh as it is to say about, you know, my family or anything like that, getting away from all those influences I had where someone had built up this persona of what I was supposed to be and being able to just really be like, no, and start over as who I want made a huge, huge difference in my mental health, in my, um, my mood, my ability to express myself and just, you know, I'm in a relationship with someone who knows all of this stuff, but still chooses to be like, I understand there are two sides of you, two people of who you're supposed to be, and you associate with this. And that's kind of the reason that I started using Token Carney for everything, because that's my screen name, um, and my website, and my blog, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. Um, I don't use my name on it, because I wanted people to, well, I guess we'll talk about it now. I, my, the blog series that I do is more of like a, a diary of my self-help. So this is like the lowest energy I've ever described this in. Because uh, normally I'm like, hey, what's up? And really high energy. Um, it, I started writing this thing called 52 in You, where it was a concept of every week I was going to do a different challenge and journal about a different thing. And by the end of the 52 weeks of the year, it was going to build me into an entirely different version of myself. Not saying that the version of me is bad, but it's like a this isn't strong enough, this could be better, and not in a I'm flawed kind of way, but more of a growing and becoming the best possible version of me. So I started journaling about that, and a few of my friends were like, no, this is cool, we wanna share this with you. So I turned it into a blog, and I started tracking it and doing it, and the first year I tried to do it, I did like two posts and didn't continue. This year I've been doing a lot more and I actually had a different approach. The first year I did it was right out of that relationship. It was very toxic. The mindset in it was very angry. And this year I went back and it's the same content, but the perception is a lot different. So it's, it's much um, happier. It's much more focused on me. And the reason that I chose to use the screen name is because when people read it, I want them to be able to see the lesson and see the topic of the conversation and not go, this is Ryan's journey and I'm following along, but more for them to be able to put themselves in it. Like Token is telling the story and I can apply those things to my life and do it with him. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that, that kind of put it in and that was a nice separation too because then anyone who knows me as Ryan and anyone who knew me before I changed my name 
it doesn't isolate them. It, it allows everybody to kind of blend seamlessly and understand that you are more than a name. Mm. So that's interesting that starting it, and you know, I've started blogs and stopped them many times. Haven't we all? <laughs> um, but interesting to then come back to the, the same concept and see that, that growth and that, that change in perspective. Um, but I'm definitely going to check out your blog because I, yeah, I love oh, to the concept. It's, um, it's very out there. I tell everyone <laughs> that all the time, one of my friends said this about me. They're like, you are professionally unprofessional. You are a hot mess. You are completely all over the place. You swear like a, like I can make a sailor blush. Um, it's just, uh, it's a lot of things that are just crazy, but it's done so well. It's done so like organized. The content is amazing. Things like that, that it, it's just like, you're unprofessional, but in the most professional way possible. And it just kind of stuck with me. And I'm like, no, I like that. That's fun. Um, and that's that's what everything became. And then I started the podcast, which is how I met you, that, uh, that it was like a discussion portion of it because I love to write and I love to express things. And I feel like my story is very um, unique to me, unique to keep people's interest, but very, very common for most people. A lot of people feel stuck, whether it's uh, gender identity, whether it's um, starting over, whether it's toxic relationships, specifically for men in toxic relationships, because I know a lot of men don't discuss it. There's a lot of toxic masculinity surrounded by abuse um, or surrounding abuse and in that topic in general. Like men don't think that they can have eating disorders. Men don't think that they can be victims of sexual assault or abuse and things like that. And you can. So for, for me to be able to tell my story is just a way for me to heal personally, but then have other people read it and go, this helped me make a better decision for my, myself is incredible. And that's not the reason I started it. I never started it for somebody to pat me on the back and be like, Token, you're amazing. We love you. Like that was never the intention. But to have people say those things has been great. Like I, before I moved, um, one of my students from the circus, her mother was an English teacher. So I got to go in and talk to the high school students when they were doing poetry because no one likes poetry until they realize that it's rap and you can do fun things with it. So I went and I talked to them and I did spoken word and it was just like a really cool hour or two of me talking to these kids and being like, well, who cares? And like just going and making them realize that life is not that serious and you can do what you need. And uh, quite a few of them I'm still in touch with. You know, uh, they have messaged me. One of them who this brought me to tears. I spoke to her class and then two years later, she graduated, got accepted to college, which she was not going to go to and everything and reached out to me and said, thank you. Um, because of what you said, I decided that I was worth more and I, I went to college and everything. And it was just a simple thank you letter. And I showed up at her graduation party without telling her. So she, it was just like a really cool full circle moment because I didn't go in there with the intention of like being a hero or, or being cocky or any of those things. It was just like a, a discussion of me being like, eh, I'm unhappy. You're allowed to be like, it's okay to be unhappy. It's the change that the after that's important. And to have this moment of someone being like, what you said spoke to me so much that I had to also change my life. It was just really cool because that was not my intention, but being able to see that was incredibly powerful and part of what encouraged me to just be like pack everything in a car and go hmm. yeah but i think sometimes if you go into places uh -huh. that intention of being the hero 
it doesn't it doesn't work because no never no one wants to talk to you that way oh so completely the wrong energy uh so i would love to talk about gender identity uh, a little bit sure what would you like to know um well my first question uh is what are your preferred pronouns okay so pronouns are weird for me i don't like pronouns to to begin with i would rather you call me by my name Mm -hmm. or my nickname or whatever um because i just think that that's more important i'm a, a huge huge believer that it does not matter what you call yourself it's how you identify and um one of the spoken words thing that I did with the kids, there was a line in it where I talked about to figure out who you are in like what noises you identify with. Your parents give you a name and you have to live up to that name and it really doesn't matter. It's, it's what you call yourself and how you feel, whether you're in a room by yourself with just one noise or whether you're in a room surrounded by hundreds of people with hundreds of noises. Like you need to know how to identify who you are. And so that for me, I'm Ryan. Or I'm token, and those are more. Um, they have more identity and more worth to it. So mm-hmm. people that know me, they don't really use pronouns. But if you do, I don't mind male pronouns. I don't mind female pronouns. Like my sister calls me her sister, and I'm fine with it because I'm gender fluid, so I flow between the two. But never call me they. For some reason, that being called they is just like a huge vomit point for me. I have no problems calling other people that. But when people are talking about me specifically, and they're like, they like this. And I'm like, they is a lot of people. I don't want to be a they. Um, mm. But most people don't really use pronouns with me. It's normally, they call me by my name. Um, and so I'm not very helpful in the pronoun game. Well, no, but I think it's, it is, um, it's something that I think for a lot of people who are non-binary or trans, that it is quite an important thing for some people. Oh, 100%. Um, moving to California was really difficult in the sense that everyone out here uses the word dude. It doesn't matter if you are male, female, in between, whatever. They use dude for everything. And I hate that word. So when I first moved out here, I had to get over the fact that I was going to be dude, no matter what. But um, it's fine now. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you go to, I mean, this is a bit of a stereotype. If you go to Bristol in the West Country, you'd be like, me lover whether you're male or female, because that's the kind of Bristolian. Well, that's why I, I like um, the term partner. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like to say my boyfriend, um, because A, that I think adds a, a level of um, infantilism. Like, it, mm-hmm. it makes the relationship childish. Like, I'm grown. I'm 29 years old. I am a grown person. Um, and although my partner is 22, it doesn't mean that he's a child. So being like, oh, my boyfriend is this sense of like, we're just a couple. We're just enjoying ourselves. Like he and I, we would like to be married. We want to start our life together. So there's, I'm not going to be like my man friend because that's just odd. (laughs) So we we say partner. And then at the same time, it kind of keeps this level of ambiguity where when I'm socializing with someone, it doesn't immediately out us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know other countries are way better at this than America is, but it's like when people meet you, I've had people introduce me and they're like, this is Ryan, my gay friend. And I was like, we ain't friends just because you introduced me like that. Like I'm worth more than my sexuality and worth more than my relationship status. So using the term partner kind of provides me that sense of privacy about Mm -hmm. what happens behind closed doors. It just lets you know I am in a serious relationship, but you don't get to know what's between my legs. And Mm -hmm. I love 
I mean, that's very graphic, but I love that mentality of like, I'm in a happy, committed relationship and you don't need to know anything else. Yeah. There seems to be that um, a lot of discussion around trans stuff generally is yes. focused on that, what's between people's legs and it freaks people out. And it's like, no one comes up to me and says, oh, you know what's between your legs? It's, it's such a weird obsessional thing to have in, in the discussion. Well, it's because people are misconstruing gender and sex together. And that is a really difficult conversation to have. Some people don't want to have it. It gets very aggressive, um, especially in America. Safety of trans people, specifically trans women of color, is very, very mm. hard. And although I am a white person, I'm a white, masculine, physically presenting male, so I have more of a platform to discuss it than other people. And it's not that it's not saying that my voice weighs more than theirs. It's saying the fact that because I'm white, because I present masculine um, or intimidating or whatever you want to call it physically, people are more likely to listen and take what I say seriously than they are a um, trans woman of color, a uh, feminine um, queer person, whatever in there. So rather than being like, well, my voice matters, it's more of a, I can get everyone's attention so that they will listen to the conversation. Um, yeah. Because there's this, this sense of remo removed defense. So like if a, a trans woman of color starts talking about trans rights and how they're being murdered, which is a very valid thing, people are going to be like, oh, you're being ridiculous, you're being this. But if I'm like, hey, trans women of color are being murdered, people are going to be like, please tell me more. And that's when I sidestep and I'm like, please continue your conversation. You are more mm -hmm. educated. You are more intact on this. Um, as a queer person, especially one in the gender um, fluid area, I am part of the trans community as far as the government is concerned. However, I do not consider myself a trans person. And I'm fully aware that if someone is asking me about trans rights, queerness, or anything, I am the most educated person in the moment until someone of not true trans status or anything like that. But if someone who has more experience and is more involved in that government, like I'm not going to take their voice away. So if it's between me and a trans woman of color and somebody's like, what's it like to be trans, Ryan? I'm going to be like, ask her. Like, I'm not going to give you a good answer. Ask her. It's her conversation. I'm going to sit here and learn. Mm. There's something about using the platform because like you said, unfortunately, there are some voices that are given more prominence in, in discussions. And, and I, um, so my background's in education and I've actually taught uh, in A-level psychology. So kind of, I guess mm -hmm. two years of um, high school level, um, gender. So the, the biological basis of sex and then about gender identity. So I feel like I have, from a theoretical perspective, a reasonable level of understanding of, of the differences, but I would never be like, hey, I know what it's like to, because I don't. Well, there's a complete difference between going, I've read this in a book and I know mm -hmm. it, and I have lived this. I mean, when I moved out to California, one of my first jobs, I quit because the manager was homophobic and was being very um, demeaning to me. And I took it to HR, I took it to management. And they're like, we take this very seriously. But then they provided me with all these hoops that I had to jump through to make it happen. Mm. And I was like, mm, I ain't about this lifestyle. It was not worth my time to be politically correct to get him to stop abusing mm. me for lack of a better description, discriminating against me. Um, because they wanted to do the things correctly on paper. And I was like, no, I'm not gonna come in here and be belittled as a person. And then when I quit, they were just like, well, we're sorry you didn't handle this properly. And I was like, 
oh, I made the correct decision purely based on that sentence alone. Yeah. But I just, um, I sort of managed to wade into a discussion on uh, last Sunday on International Women's Day about... Um, Such a cool day. Yeah, I, I know. It was just someone had posted something about trans women aren't women. And I was like, I just... If your feminism isn't inter- intersexual and fighting for all people, then who is it for? Who is it for? If exactly. you're not fighting for trans women, women of color, non-binary people that are in the middle of the spectrum, if you're not fighting for women that have disability, if you're not fighting for men in general for equality, who is your feminism for? Yeah. And I, I saw this message and I was like, I can't not say anything. But it just, it, you know, everyone that I saw posting seems to have this opinion and know what they're talking about, even though, you know, they're coming out with stuff that I was like thinking about the theoretical stuff. I know I was like, you're just talking nonsense. But I was like, I'm just, I'm not going to get into that level. And I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm cis. I'm, you know, I'm lucky in some ways, I guess that, you know, the way I feel and the way that society perceives me match. And it's like, but you know, I don't know on a biological level what's going on. I don't know what my chromosomes are doing or my hormones are doing or what sex my cells are or whatever. I just kind of feel that I'm this and luckily other people accept that. So I think all I can do is, you know, whatever level of platform I have, try and, you know, people who don't have a platform and don't have a voice, give them an opportunity and to be an ally to people who are being discriminated against or, Well, a big thing that people understand, you just said it, is that being an ally does not mean that you're speaking for people. Being Mm -hmm. an ally means that when we are standing up trying to speak for ourselves and we are alone in the fight, that you stand up behind us and you go, hey, I'm right here. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can do that silently. Sometimes that's as simple as one of my best friends for my birthday this year bought me a beautiful makeup palette. Um, And I use it quite often. I absolutely love it. Alexis, Um, but it's one of those things where just like that little sense of you're good or, you know, we've gone out in public before and I had my makeup on and I was in a bad mood, which is why I put makeup on. Cause I was like, I want to feel pretty. And we went out and people were just like, you're a dude wearing makeup and this is weird. And she came up and was like, oh my God, your eyeshadow looks amazing today. And it was just that little hint of like, you're okay. It was really nice. And it added a lot to it. And, um, you you said it also with the, these people just speaking randomly or you you feel that you're cis that's a huge deal and people don't understand what it means to not be cis it, it's honestly like if you're standing in the mirror and the person you see in the mirror is not the person that's standing there it's like you're looking in the mirror you see what that image is but it's not you it's like you're you're trapped it's almost like those horror movies or things where it's like they look in the mirror and the person being possessed is in the mirror but the body is, you know what I mean? Um, and that's, that's, it's hard. It's hard to wake up every single day and, and look at your body and go, this isn't mine. Mm-hmm. And that's something, I have terrible hiccups. I'm so sorry. That is, um, that's something that I feel people don't get or they take for granted because they don't understand it. Like you said, you're lucky to be a woman, which I think in situations of gender, and um, this situation, sure, you're lucky to be a woman. But in the grand scheme of, mm. of rights and equality, I don't think it's fair to say that you're lucky. I don't think it's fair to say that somebody's lucky for being a man. Do they have it easier? 100%. But it's, I don't think that 
your identity and who you carry yourself as should ever be a situation of like, oh, I lucked out. Like, no, you should be able to be comfortable with who you are. And that's a huge proponent of being an ally and understanding these things is if you can say, well, I'm lucky to be this way, it should be every fiber of your being. When someone is unlucky for being who they are, that you should share your luck with them. Mm. Yeah, and I don't know whether lucky was in some ways the wrong word to use, but I think it's Oh, that, no, I think it works perfectly. It's that easier that, you know, from society's perspective, you know, this is how I was born, this is how I feel, and society like, yay, you're all right. You're white, you're, you know, you're British, you're a woman, I'm heterosexual, you know, in a lot of ways. I, you know, I recognize I'm very privileged because, you know, I, I don't face discrimination in a lot of ways that, that other people would. And so I think, like you said, it's really important to then go, there are other people who are discriminated against, who don't have the privilege that I have. And so, you know, it's about looking out for people in, you know, in the best way that I can to, yeah, to try and share some of that privilege, I guess. A big thing to understand with that too, is that if you are trying to be an ally and trying to help other people because you feel guilty about your privilege, you are approaching it wrong. Because mm. I don't ever want somebody to go, I feel bad that I have this and you don't, therefore I'm going to help you mm. out of pity. I don't want yeah. your pity. I don't need your pity. I just need somebody that when I'm standing up for things that I care about to be there too. Um, a big one right now is in America, Chick-fil-A has just announced that they're doing, um, they have sauces that you can get in the store and they're selling them to take home that like bigger containers. And Walmart out here has a very similar sauce to the popular ones. It doesn't come with bigotry and homophobia. You can buy it without <laughs> it. Um, and anytime one of my friends share it, I'm just like, you can get the same sauce for cheaper without donating to a cause that literally wants me dead. And I know that sounds dramatic, but they donate to anti-LGBT um, legislature, which is trying to remove our rights. And if you, if a company wants to remove you in a political sense, they fundamentally want to get rid of you, period. End of discussion. And I had quite a few people comment on it and they were just like, well, did you used to work there? Yeah, I was 14, I didn't know any better. Um, and now that I know better, now that I know what they're doing to, I don't support it. And it's they're like, it's just sauce. It's not, my rights aren't sauce. My rights aren't, um, at one point they said that I'm just talking nonsense. My rights aren't nonsense. My feelings are valid. And to, to have the privilege and the, the space to just be like, well, this doesn't affect me, so I don't care about it, is a big thing that people really need to pay attention to. Like, no, queer people, people of color, minorities, whatever you want to call it, none of us are going, you have this and I want this, you should feel bad. And it's it's not about making your life miserable. It's about going, hey, um, this is slightly unfair. Can we discuss it? And, and people need to remove the defensive situation from it because a lot of them are like oh i'm mad that you're saying this are you mad that i'm calling you out on it or are you mad that it's happening and it shouldn't be like but there's a lot of that like uh, you know people like they'll they'll i think the thing that that came to mind is with the me too stuff where people are like oh I'm, I'm so sorry and it's like but are you really or is it the fact that you've now been called out and so now you're apologizing a, a good explanation for that, um, I can't say it to the Me Too situation, but with names, um, dead naming, specifically for trans people, is a huge deal. If you call us by our name that we were born as or assigned as, that's not who we identify with. And it's a huge um, 
slap in the face. It's a very, very large disrespect because it's like, you don't see us as who we are today. You do that. And um, I've had quite a few people who have talked me through it because it's very difficult when someone dead names you and you correct them. They're like, oh my God, I'm sorry. What do you say to that? Because you don't want to say it's okay because it's not. It's not okay that you dead named me. Um, it sucks, but I don't want to give you this sense of like, don't worry about it and demean it. But I also don't want to sound like a raging jerk. So one of my friends who is, um, they, they are they. Mm-hmm. I love them dearly. They explain to me that they say, I understand. When someone says, I'm sorry, they go, I understand. Because it's not diminishing the fact that they don't need to be sorry. It's not trying to make them feel bad. It's simply a, I appreciate the fact that you recognize you were wrong and you were trying to apologize for it but please don't do it again. And that's all said with an, I understand. And I think that's a great, great thing to do because then that completely removes the sense of, I'm sorry, it's okay, cool, I feel better because they said it's okay. Like there's no, Mm. the situation is done. It's more of like a, I acknowledge that you feel this way and now you have to continue to do those things. There's there's none of this instant, like we're better now. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think, what was I going to say? I was going to say something, obviously very (laughs) (laughs) Probably not. No, I. What what did I want to say? I did want to say about the pity thing. That hopefully, what I said about my stance doesn't come across. Oh, not at all. Not at all. You were fine. Good. (laughs) Because I just kind of believe in equality. We're all humans, and I just think we should have the same rights. Which to me is very simple. It's you know the way people identify is is theirs. I don't. It's not my place to say, you know, who people want to date or how people want to live. And I don't know. It's just. I want to just accept people how they are and I don't know where I'm going with this point. (laughs) You're fine. I think a big thing to focus on is a lot of people, um, and this is not a you're doing it wrong situation, a lot of people, specifically cis people, heterosexual people, they look at things from the sense of I want equality. We don't want equality, we want equity. You have to meet us where we are. So yeah. in, in certain situations, like for me to, to have my gender identity is completely different than that of a trans woman. She needs more. She's going to need medical attention. She's going to need a safe place. She's going to need um, more hands-on experience in the workforce, in life, bathrooms, whatever you want to call it. So to say equality is like everybody gets the same thing and that's not mm. good enough. We want but- equity. Um, we want people to have we want to meet them where they are and let them know that they are okay there. Mm. There's, there's a brilliant cartoon. I don't know if you've seen it. And there's a, a fence and people try to... the boxes. Yes, yeah. I love it. Yeah. And it's like equality is giving them all the same box, but that doesn't make it fair because some no. people need a bigger box to be on the same level. And I, so my background, um, going into a completely different area of inequality, uh, was in special education. And I was working with young people who struggled to access education and and so some of them would have um concerns for exams so that they would mm-hmm. access them and some of them were so resistant to that and felt like it was an unfair advantage and I'm trying to say it's not because otherwise you're sort of kind of yeah there's this discrepancy that there are things that you find more difficult and this is to try and put you on the same level as anyone else it's not an advantage it's that's been a learning experience for me too especially since I've been I don't like to say that I'm disabled because I by no means want to compare myself to somebody who has a um, permanent disability mine is 
and I use air quotes because we hope it is a temporary thing because it's just a herniated disc, but that doesn't downplay what it is. I have an 18 millimeter protrusion in my back. Um, it is at the point where the doctors have told me that I should not be able to walk. I'm doing great. Um, so to, to go from being able-bodied and athlete, a circus performer to someone who I can't walk for more than five, 10 minutes at a time before my body is done to have to use wheelchairs and things like this. And the looks that people give me, the conversations that happen, because they're like, you look healthy. And I'm like, okay, well, can you see my spine? Um, so it, it adds in there. And I think that's a big, big proponent to what you were just saying is that people are like, well, you have an advantage. Why do you get to ride in a cart? Because um, I can't walk, Mary. What do you want from me? Like it, it, people don't see that because it's they've got their blinders on. It's that judgment straight away, isn't it? You, and that's such a... Um, what does it have, to, what does it do for you? Like, what does it do for you? I'm going to judge you on this. Okay, are you getting paid to judge me? Does it matter what you think of me? Because mm. I don't think it does. Because sh- I'm not worrying about you. Mm. Unless you're in the way of my car. And in that case, beep, beep, move. Yeah. But, I mean, that's one that quite often gets kind of around, like, you don't look disabled. It's like, well, not all, like you said, not all disabilities. Disabilities are invisible. And and this is a big thing. And I knew this before I had to deal with this situation um, because I have several friends who have varying levels of disability. So I have a friend who is in a wheelchair and uses a cane, but she doesn't have to use it every day. So for her, she's had people say that she's faking it. They're like, you're faking your disability. I'm like, why? Because she had a good pain day? As someone who can tell you, it never rains in California. It has been raining this entire week. And I am in so much pain because of it's colder. The air pressure is different because of the rain and everything. Like, normally I can do a lot more and I'm getting getting better in my um, mobility. But this, this week has been like a, a, a huge no for me. So for someone who's experienced that personally... I get it when she's like, today's a bad day. I don't have enough spoons today. I 100% get that. And people don't think about that. They don't, the spoon theory is great. If you've never seen oh, yeah. it before, Google it. It's just the spoon theory. It's perfect. You, you don't realize as an able-bodied, healthy person, um, I use it a lot of the time to describe my gender as well, because I have, like, I have spoons for my activity, but then I have spoons for how much, um, bull I'm going to deal with from other people. So when people are like, well, you look like, why are you wearing a dress? Not that I, why are you wearing makeup? You, you're a boy. Um, do I have enough spoons to tell this person what's going on? Do I have enough spoons to engage with somebody on the internet? Um, because if I take the spoons away from this, I may not be able to do something else that I need. And running a blog, a podcast, and doing the other work and stuff that I have to at home, it's been hard because if I use all my spoons for that, then I have to take a nap. And then I'm four hours later and then I don't want to do anything because I'm either depressed from my nap, um, from my mobility, or it's just like a, too late in the day for me to do stuff. So I, I think it's really, really important to understand that just because I don't physically fit what you consider this thing, you as an able-bodied person who has literally no insight on it, so please shut up. What Like if you tell me that I'm not you specifically, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if somebody vocalizes that, it's like a, cool, who are you? Like that you disability doesn't work that way. Gender doesn't work that way. A queerness doesn't work that way. It's that to me is the same as a man going, how old are you? Oh, I'm in my thirties. Oh, you should probably start having kids. I have had eight miscarriages. Thank you. Like that is why we don't ask personal questions. Like that, ugh, it's 2020. Why are we still doing this? Mm. I think that's just, I mean, I think, 
part of how humans function that we like to put people in little boxes because it helps us understand the world but it's that kind of I think that's an element of just you know how we work as humans but it's when people are like no you're in this box get back in that box like they can't handle but why do I have to limit myself to make you comfortable what exactly exactly and from the flip side, as somebody who has both been in the box and then completely destroyed the boxes and realized that I prefer a shelf because um, it's easier. Once you stop forcing people into boxes, whether it's intentional or not, whether it's something like a learned behavior from your family, unlearn it or um, whatever. Once you stop doing that, your life is a lot happier. Like, especially with me moving and starting and everything and realizing that I don't really want to and in figuring out what I want to do, I'm way happier. I'm less, um, I don't like the word triggered because I feel like it is used so much that it kind of diminishes what it actually means. So as far as like eating disorders and abuse and stuff like that, triggered is an appropriate word because I have gone through those things. And sometimes certain actions make me relive those moments and they suck. But when it's coming to, to just regular conversation, I realized that I don't get as heated, as angry. Um, when somebody yells at me, I can look at them and just go, cool, and walk away rather than engaging in it. And, and that's because I realized that I have eight boxes in front of me, but I have too many things to put in them. So instead of using the boxes, I'm gonna use a shelf or I'm just gonna organize them on the table so I know where everything is. Um, that, that makes a huge, huge difference in your mentality and the way that you see the rest of the world. And so that's really important. Like, Look at your boxes check your boxes and see what needs to go into them and realize, do you need this box? Mm. Yeah, there's, um, I can't remember what university is. There's like a implicit bias test you can do. I don't know if you've heard of this. So you can I have, and I don't remember where it's from either. No, um, but you can test out, you know, these unconscious biases that you have and whether it's gendered or racial or whatever. I did it for race. That's how I found mine out. I found out that, and I have several, um, friends that are black or people of color and they've all pointed out they're like white people are racist whether it doesn't make you a bad person but white people are racist you're just going to be racist because of the way that the system is set up and i was like that's stupid i'm not racist and i took the test and holy crap guys holy crap and it doesn't mean you're a bad person it just means that these bias that you don't know about exist and sometimes you have to sit down and go wait i think if they're unconscious you know, by the definition, you don't, you're not aware of them. So by becoming aware of them, then you can kind of hold them in mind. And then when you start doing an automatic behavior that is racist or sexist, or whatever, you can kind of check yourself and kind of go, wait, you know, where is it coming from? And I think, yeah, being aware of your own biases and then I guess trying to remove them or. It's hard. Um, one of the, I actually was having this discussion last night. One of the biggest things in the gay world specifically is the um, no femmes, no fats, no Asians, I don't date black guys, things like that. And it's people going, it's just a sexual preference and me going, no, it's racism. Like there's a different, they're like, well, I'm just not attracted to, I was like, you're not attracted to what? Larger men? You're not attracted to men with long hair? Like those are preferences. But to go, I don't like him because his skin's too dark. That's racist. And one of the comments on it, somebody was like, it's just a preference. I can't help if I don't like Asian men, black men, or white men. And my response to the conversation was, say that again, but slower, just to like make them understand it. Cause it's like, you're, we're saying the same thing. You're just not 
hearing yourself say it. And it's, it's hard because some people, they don't want to associate that. And specifically with the bias, you obviously come from an education background. You come from someone who is thinking logically, like I have learned this information. Now I have to unlearn these habits because of this information. And that's an eye-opening experience that you do on your own, which provides the sense of like, hmm, I should fix this. Whereas if you and I are having a conversation, I go, hey, you're being racist. It automatically puts you on the defensive because you associate racism with I'm a bad person. And those are not what I said. I said that that is a racist habit. That is a, a negative habit. You're being uh, transphobic, um, homophobic, whatever you want to call it. And it's not me instantly saying that because you are this, you are a terrible person. It's going, this is a terrible habit. I consider you a good person. Please evaluate that. And mm. people need to, they need to understand that, um, especially in today's society, and this is from left, right, center, whatever, wherever you align, that if you don't fit this specific, like you're a good person mentality, you're automatically evil. And that's not the same saying. It's a uh, I value you, I value our friendship. This thing that you're doing is affecting me negatively, like shopping at Chick-fil-A. And, it, and that's a moment of, okay, well, can I change this without changing my quality of life? Um, yes, no. Can I change this? And it does change my quality of life. Yes, no. If it changes my quality of life, is that a good or a bad thing? And if it changes my quality of life for the better or worse, how does that affect the person that it genuinely affects? You know what I mean? Like you, like you changing your conversation of I'm not attracted to black men, that is racism and you are making other people feel excluded. But if you change it to, I don't prefer men who carry themselves in this specific way. They have these specific habits, traits, they act this way, they speak this way. That is completely different than that. But then you also have to get into, if you want to be really technical, the fact that grammar is literally just a social construct uh, of classism and, mm. and, you know, using abonics and things like this or how people speak like you have to remove yourself from but the top tier to be able to see the tiers below you like you have to look down through the glass ceiling because it's your floor mm. does, does that make sense yeah okay cool i was like i feel like i'm rambling so i want to make sure we're understanding <laughs> it's fine there's something i was gonna say it's gone that happens a lot yeah it's fine yeah and you're like podcasting you're like oh, I've got a really great point. And then, because you don't want to interrupt people. And then you're like, oh, they said other great stuff. So that first point's gone. Who knows what it was. Oh, that's literally why one of the, so obviously my, I have my title website and everything. And one of the, the channels on my podcast is literally just called the Runaway Rambles. Because let's be real, that's what it's going to be. We're just going to ramble. We're just going to, mm. we're going to pick a topic and then whatever happens on that topic is a surprise. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of, well, you know, what we do. We, I have my set questions, which we'll get to um, in a little while. But other than that, it's like we have a vague topic and then we just kind of chat for it. It makes it easier. It flows better. And it's nicer because you get a chance to, you know, you and I have only talked on um, social media. We've had a, a few interactions where we've gotten to know each other through that. But being on a video chat, having a conversation and seeing that is, is a very different experience. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, not almost it's, it's very refreshing because it's like you and I live so far apart but we match very mm. similarly in the way that we look at things and that's kind of like a there's seven billion people in the world but now I know there's one more that makes me feel like I'm a decent person and that's nice <laughs> yeah I mean I, I find it really interesting because I talk to um a lot of people I've I've now got a backlog of interviews to release they'll probably take me till August to get through them and there are people that 
that I'm quite similar to, people I agree with on a lot of stuff, people I have a lot of things I don't agree with, but still some common ground. And I find that quite interesting as well, that, you know, the, the difference is an opinion, but what's nice is that they're all respectful, polite conversations. And to be honest, some of it is maybe if someone says something that I may be like, hmm, I don't necessarily challenge them on it because, you know, maybe unless it's, you know, really not appropriate and then I'll, you know. That's one of my biggest fears being on podcasts is I'm going to say something or someone else is going to say something and I'm going to be like, excuse me. And just have that, that like, that moment where the, like the vinyl skips and you're just like, one more time. I had something crazy in my ear. Like you do yeah. want to avoid that. And so it's so scary. Um, well, yeah. scary is not the right word, but it's just like, eh. Well, it's that kind of, you know, I had someone drop something into an episode and I was like, Ooh. but it was the beauty of editing Yeah, or well, control not... of the tongue. I'm trying so hard not to swear. Yeah. But I will say for some of them, I'm like, well, people are sharing their opinions and actually part of it, I can put a disclaimer and be like, actually, do you know what? I don't agree with that opinion. And then we'll maybe present the flip side as well. And but I suppose it depends what the opinion is. If the opinion is, you know. It depends on the topic. Yeah, I don't like broccoli is an opinion. I don't like uh, trans people is not. So it's a difference. You know, yeah. you, gotta, you gotta find that like, hmm. Mm. Hmm. But there's yeah. also a really cool thing that I've learned, seen, whatever, that when somebody presents their opinion and you don't necessarily agree with it, there is a way to turn that into like an educational moment of going, why is this your opinion so I can understand it better? Here's my opinion. And then have this back and forth of like, maybe we can both learn something today. Mm. And that's a really cool thing that happens with podcasts a lot because you're meeting people and you're having discussions and things are so different that you can grow as a person, which is clearly my entire theme is like, I'm a hot mess, but I'm trying to be the best I can. Mm. Yeah, I suppose with that, in theory, it's lovely to be able like to say, where does that opinion come from? Let's talk about it. But I think sometimes people hold so tightly to their opinions as fact that they can't have that discussion because they can't handle a contradictory opinion. And I think, I don't want to really get into politics, but you see that a lot. Oh, no, I totally get it. You're, you know, it's you're so speaking right there. It's so polarized. It's like, I'm not even going to talk about why you hold that opinion because it's like the... the they get defensive. Mm. Just like we just talked about, it's they, they hold it and it's something that they attach themselves to personally. And then when you speak ill of it, it feels like you're speaking ill of them. And I think, um, and this is not meant to be an insult to anyone who's listening, but I think that that is a sign of intelligence um, and of maturity when you can remove yourself from the personal situation and understand that this is something that may be significant to me on paper, but it is not part of my lifeblood. It is not part of who I am as a person. And if they speak on this in a negative way, that is their opinion that they are entitled to. And it does not have to affect my spoons for the day. It does mm. not have to affect how I carry my life. I don't care what Billy Joe thinks of me, you know, because and this is something that I also talked about with the high schoolers that I went to. It's important to understand that when you're speaking to someone, um, it's not about like the conversation you and I are having right now is not for you and I. It is for everyone else. We're talking, we're having our, we're having a kiki, we're good to go. But when you and I are done this conversation, 
someone 300 miles away, whatever, can hear this go, that spoke to me, that's important to me. And then because we are just speaking, we are influencing somebody else. And that's the thing that's important to remember too. You know, you, you're just, your conversation isn't just about the two people in the conversation. It's about, it can influence so many things outside of it. So to, to remove yourself emotionally from something and be able to just to speak truthfully, honestly, with as much passion as you can and understand that people are going to disagree with you and that's okay. That, mm-hmm. that adds a, a different level of like, I've made it, I'm in a peaceful, happy, healthy mental health space. When someone can go, I think that's dumb. And I go, cool. And that's the end of it. Mm. But I suppose like, you know, if, like you said, if you have, have that, that view that your opinions are not like an integral part of you, that you've got that separation, then if people say your opinions are dumb, you don't feel it as an attack. In the same exactly. Way. It's, it's taken, let, let, let's just be clear, y'all. I'm 29 and I just got to this point within the past like <laughs> 28 years. Like it has taken some time to get there. And there are certain things that people say that I'm just kind of like, wow, that's mean. Um, I'm a very blunt person. I am, uh, I speak with logic before I speak with emotion. So if you ask me a question, does this make me look bad? I'm just going to answer. I'm not going to worry about whether that's going to personally offend you because you asked for my opinion you asked me to answer and i'm a huge 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 person where when i say something that offends you bring it to my attention if, if you tell me that what i said offended you i will try my best to change the way i deliver the message without changing the the meaning of the message so if i say something that you don't agree with how i say it or you think hey can i get some more clarity on that um it upset me when you said this i can find a way to to go around it. But if you don't say any of those things to me, I don't need to worry about your feelings because you haven't brought them to my attention. And now that's not saying to go through the world and not care about anyone around you, but it's, um, I don't worry about the opinions of other people. I don't worry what other people are thinking because I live in this, this world of mutual respect in my mentality and call it naive, whatever you want. Um, where if I do something that you feel disrespects you, bring it to my attention because that shows that you respect me enough to say, hey, this needs to be discussed. And then I can go, you're awesome. Let's, let's visit it. And that is a very, very difficult thing for some people. That is a big challenge that's helped a lot in my relationship, us doing those things. It's just, but a lot of people will see me and they're like, you're a jerk. Like You're very blunt, you're mean, you don't care. But the people that get to know me are like, no, you're not mean. You just, you don't miss words. And if someone asks an opinion, you give them your honest opinion because you respect them enough to talk to them like a person and not sugarcoat or talk down or, or think less of them or like code it in a way that's not going to upset them. Like you, it's, it's a big, how you talk to people makes a big, big difference. And there's a difference between respect in, I respect you enough to, tell you everything and I respect you in a way that I have to cope things so that you can handle them because to me that's disrespectful if you have to change the way you say things is to not offend me you're being disrespectful because that means you don't value me enough to treat me like a person you know what I mean Mm. I think it's interesting because I'm thinking when you're saying that about the way I talk to people and I do care a lot about what people think and it's something I'm a people pleaser and it's something I'm working on (laughs) but there's nothing wrong with being a people pleaser. It's just a matter yeah. of don't sweat over it. Mm. But I, 
I feel like I always try and put, you know, put across what I want to say, but in a kind, respectful way. So yes, well, yes, absolutely. And there's a complete difference between being nice and being kind. So for me specifically, I may say things that are blunt, but I would never in a million years say something that is malicious. I'm mm. never going to look at someone and say, does this make me look fat? I might go, yeah, it doesn't fit you well. But that's not me mm. saying you're a fat cow. It's me saying, no, that's that doesn't fit right. your body. Like it's, it doesn't fit your body right. But I'm not going to go, maybe you should try something else. That one's just not quite right. Like that to me is an extra step that doesn't matter. It's that's, that's the extra, like I'm trying to be nice to you. And nice is fake. I don't like nice. Kind mm. is just like a... I care about people, I care about their happiness, and I don't want to intentionally offend anyone, so I'm going to take the steps I can to just treat everyone with, like, happiness, and, and it's hard to define it without, define it without using the word, but, like, I want to be a good person, and whereas nice is, like, you're pretending to be that mm. way, like, you're doing it because it's better for them. Like mm -hmm. kind is just pure intention, whereas nice is like, I have to make myself be nice. So yep. that's a big thing, especially for women and people of color, um, minorities, whatever. You should never limit yourself to make someone else comfortable. So if someone's like, well, that's not very nice of you. Okay, neither is cat calling a woman from the side of the street. Just because you're, you expect them to be nice doesn't mean they have to. They just have to be kind. They don't have to make themselves smaller to make you comfortable. And mm -hmm. as a people person, that's like the biggest tip of advice I can give to you because I 100% understand where you are coming from. Uh, I just think it's important to know that if you have to alter the way you say things enough to make somebody else, like if you value them more than you, you're being nice and you need to be kind. Whereas like you deserve just as much respect for saying what you're saying to them as they do for hearing it from you. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's a really important distinction there that, the kindness and not being malicious, like you said, and then that artificial niceness that's kind of at the top. So I've got one final question, I guess, uh, around gender and sure. before my general questions. Um, and that's just for, for anyone who's listening who, and I'm not sure of uh, the demographic of uh, listeners, we possibly have a mix of how people you know, yeah, but that's the best part is you don't know who's listening so it's for everyone. Yeah. So, so, I, you know, cause I was going to say, you know, could you give a tip for someone who wants to be an ally, but we might have a lot of people listening who are gender fluid or non-binary or trans. So, I mean, then that makes it a really broad question. Of, Bring it. I love it. It's a challenge. I'm here for yeah, it. Of like, you know, just what would you recommend for people to do? So if they are listening and they are an ally, you know, what is the best thing they can do to be an ally if someone... Oh, I'm so excited to answer this. Yeah, I don't know. It's a sort of vague question in there. All right, so I'm going to break it down into a few different parts. Yes. If you are a queer person, and I use the term queer because I feel like that it includes everyone. That doesn't limit to you. I'm gay, I'm lesbian, and then everyone outside of that goes, eh, what if I don't fit into that? Like, queer is just like, are you different? Are you different in the gender sexuality spectrum? Listen up, this is for you. If you are a queer person or if you are questioning whether or not you are a queer person, reach out. You can find me on all social media at Token Carney, T-O-K-E-N-C-A-R-N-I-E. Um, you can find me on my website, which we will talk about later. My email and everything is on there. Please, please, please feel free to reach out. I'm more than willing to talk to you. If I get lots of messages, it might take me a minute, but like whatever works. I'm here. You're not alone. 
Um, and the reason that I say that is because for me growing up, it took me until I was 26, 27 to understand that I was in the gender fluid thing because I didn't know, I wasn't exposed to it. So having someone who can talk and be like, wait, this is normal is a huge help. So if you think you fall into that bubble, do not limit yourself and make yourself smaller and say you're overreacting or say that this is weird, it can't be a thing. Talk to someone, find someone, whether it's a close friend, someone like me that you don't know or anything that you can just soundboard with. It will help so much. I promise you are not alone, you are normal. Uh, ben Platt said it and he accepted his Tony. Um, the things that make you strange are the things that make you beautiful and please, please cherish that. So that's probably the most like emotional thing I can say there. If you are an ally, please understand the difference between speaking for us and giving us an opportunity to speak ourselves. When we, like a lot of the times allies come in and they feel that they have to vocalize louder than us because their voice is better heard. They feel that if there's an argument on Facebook or something that they have to chime in and that effectively silences us and that's not okay. Sometimes we need you to just be there. Sometimes we need you that when we are tired and can't do it anymore, we'll go, can you step in please? Or like you can be an ally that you're vocal. You can be an ally that tells someone, hey, it's not worth your time. You're okay. This is valid for you to feel this way and pulls us back. Um, excuse me. Also understand that as an ally, you don't get to decide that you hurt us. And that's a big deal for a lot of people. A lot of allies think they're good about some things and they say something and then when a person on the spectrum or anything vocalizes, hey, you did this thing and it kind of bothered me. They're like, well, I was helping you. No, no, you don't get to do that. You hurt me. You don't get to decide how you did it. It doesn't mean that you're a terrible person. It doesn't mean anything. It's me saying, you claim to be an ally. Please do this. I personally get very aggressive with allies because I know people that they're allies for LGBT people, but they don't support trans or they're allies for this and they don't support that. I'll rip your ally flag from your hand. You do not get to claim that you're an ally if you're not. Um, and learn our culture. This is, this is probably like the biggest, biggest tip I can say. It's not my job to teach you. It's not my job to educate you. Um, if you don't know what Stonewall is, if you don't know who Marsha P. Johnson is, if you don't know where, um, yes, sis, okay, queen, where that comes from, if you don't know drag culture, don't just watch RuPaul's Drag Race. Like, that's not a good representation of what drag is. Yes, it is a mainstream, gets it out there, but there's so much more to drag than that. There's so much more to our culture than that. And you don't get to like pick and choose what you wanna use and what you wanna say and claim that that's acceptable when you don't know the history of it. And then when somebody, corrects you and you're like, well, I never learned that. Cool, but it's not my job to teach you. I'm not a library. I'm not a teacher. Teachers get paid. I'm not getting paid to teach you this. If you approach me with respect and you go, hey, I don't understand what it means to be trans and what it means to be non-binary. Can you explain them to me? That's a place of mutual respect and you are clearly showing me I want to understand this better. And I'm willing to teach that. But also you don't get to get mad at people when they go, I don't want to, I don't want to have this discussion. Like I'm not a fetish for you. I'm not an oddity. I'm not something you get to see in a museum. So respect our boundaries. Mm. Like just because you're fighting for us as an ally doesn't mean that we owe you things. Mm. And I know that sounds very, very harsh, but that's something that I have really, really encountered. So that's that. And I was thinking while you, while you were saying that, one about a good example that of a podcast I listened to that does a very good job of being an ally to all kinds of different groups of people. Um, 
also one of the things that you mentioned is about if there are people around you like family or friends who make a comment that homophobic transphobic racist to tackle it with them to sort of you know exactly yeah to say actually that's that's not appropriate and to do the educating because there's something you said as well about you know your role is not to educate people and actually one of the things um they think quite often can happen is people will be like oh well, tell me teach me about this experience and it puts a lot of burden on people to sort of yeah be the educator rather than encouraging other people to do their own research and find out for themselves well and it's kind of like the the theory of those that can't do teach like yeah, obviously that's not the case with everything but in a situation like this i want to live and experience my life i don't want to have everything i do under a microscope to teach other people, which is hilarious coming from a blogger and a podcaster where that's exactly what I'm doing. But mm. it's there's certain things like what I share and let people see in my life is up to me. I don't want it to be one of those things where it's just like pick and choose what you want to learn from me. Like you should be able to see what I choose to let you see. Um, and you should be a part of what I choose to let you be a part of. If there's something you don't understand, go try and learn it somewhere else because I'm nine times out of 10, better equipped, more willing, whatever, to have the discussion with you. If you're like, hey, so I looked this situation up, what are your thoughts on it? Because then it's, you're taking interest in it and you want my opinion and you want to like have the discussion with me rather than like me lecturing you because I have to. Like, I don't want to teach you because you're ignorant. I want to, I want to have the discussion with you because you care. Mm. Yeah, and it's almost like if someone's asking you to teach them, they don't care enough do the research themselves they're putting it all on you to teach them they're being like i care about this i've done some research what do you think or even imagine if someone came to you and said look i've tried to look into it but i can't find anything so can you well that's completely different because if you've put the effort in already you're ahead of the game and i'm like oh cool well i can show you because i live it like mm. if you don't know where to look you don't know where to look boom but uh it's 2020 and we all have internet in our pocket mm. You know, so if you can't even do a simple Google search to figure out what's going on, why do I want to spend my time? Like what, it's a, it's a hard, it's like a double-edged sword because you don't want people to not know what's going on and then continue to be ignorant and say things that are a problem or problematic. But at the same time, I don't want to spend every single minute of my life doing that. Like what good does it do me? What does what benefit do I have constantly teaching you these things? And then people are like, well, then we're educated and we can't do that. Okay, cool. But my life should be worth more than that. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, the, the podcast I was thinking of, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called The Guilty Feminist. I have not. Uh, okay, so it's, um, so it's run by um, this lady, Deborah Francis White, who is... Um, stand-up comedian in the UK. She's just got such a fun name too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and it's all about, you know, being a good feminist, but sometimes we're not a good feminist. So it's to kind of share the guilty things. Of, mm -hmm. But but she always has guest hosts and other guests on, and she tries to make sure there is a blend of different experiences, different racial backgrounds, disability, sexuality. Um, I know that they have trans guests on as well. They talk about refugees a lot. So it's very much about being an intersectional feminist and using that platform to have all these diverse voices 
um, it's quite a lot of fun as well to listen. It sounds it. It just sounds like it's a fun conversation to be had, and that's very exciting. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's a good example of being an ally because I think she's very clear about she's an ally, and so using that that platform, but also being mindful of language and this is something that they've talked about before about this not putting the burden on someone else to educate you. It's a big deal and a lot of the time that education is hard. I mean I've had issues where like I was on the public bus and some person was referring, he, he was like, oh, the transsexuals are ruining everything. And I was like, the term is transgender. And he was like, excuse me, I was like, transsexual is a slur, given there are some people who are transgendered who, who they use the term transsexual. When and it comes to situations like that, it's up to them to say whatever they want. Mm-hmm. But in general, you don't call someone a transsexual. It's a, it's a very old kind of like taboo version of the word. Um, and it, even in the same as saying somebody's transgender, like you, they're a trans man or a trans woman, you want to give them that that identity. You don't want to just kind of like blur it out kind of thing and mm-hmm. different for each person. But it was an ugly conversation. He very much was like, well, you don't have to be um, rude or demeaning me. I was like, I'm who's who's over here using slurs and I'm demeaning? Okay, sure. So it's, mm-hmm. you got the burden of trying to educate people. Then at the same time, when you try to educate people, if they're not in the mindset to do it, they're instantly defensive. And then that's just, it's exhausting. I'm tired, y'all. Mm. Yeah, I think uh, my perception is that in the US, there is still a long way to go on LGBT. That's a polite way to put it, yeah. Um, and, I know, <laughs> and I know in the UK that generally, I think we're in a more positive place. You know, the official position is that we are inclusive and and respectful. And I think most people do act in that way. There's obviously sometimes debate and and we sometimes have you ever watched Piers Morgan? I love listening to him and some of the things he said recently, I've been like, What is wrong with you? Yeah. Like previously I was like, God, you're such a good, like good critic. And then, like, recently, I'm like, Piers, no, baby, what is you doing? Yeah, I mean, we can agree to disagree about him being a good critic. (laughs) (laughs) I'm talking about, like, America's Got Talent. Like, back when he was on that, and he he was, um, he cared about the development of the people on it. So Mm -hmm. as far as the situation was concerned, he didn't care about them as people. He cared about them, like, being to the best of their possible tier, and I respect yeah. that. However, his personal opinions, his personal interjections and things that are said, wow. Yeah, and I think there has been a couple of things recently um, talking about gender identity. He's been, uh, he's been vocal. Yeah, and it just, that actually there was um, a politician that he spoke to recently and, and she, I think, did a really good job of shutting him down and saying, what you're doing is really just trivializing people's experiences. That's a beautiful way to word it, too. Yeah. And that it's not that people have the right to self-identify. You might not agree with the numbers or how many terms are or whatever. But to then make it really trivialized by calling yourself a penguin is really just... Like, have you seen that comment that he made? Oh, I've seen that. I, that's the same as people are like, what's next? Being able to marry your dog? And I'm like, are we, are we really doing this right now? 
Like, is that really where this is going? Or um, there's some people that do the, um, they're, they say like they're trans weight. So they're like, I'm a fat person, but I see myself as a skinny person. And I'm like, okay, so you're just demeaning people at this point. Cause that basically, like you said, it trivializes it. It takes it from, hey, this is a serious thing. These people are seriously dealing, like body dysmorphia is yeah. terrible. And so for you to be like, well, I want to be a skinny person. So I see myself as skinny or I see myself as more masculine than this. And I'm like, come on. It's exhausting, especially somebody in that field. When people make comments like that, I'm like, please just shut up. Mm. And I think, um, I don't know what the language used in in the US is, but I know when I was teaching about um, gender, and it used to be termed gender identity disorder, but in the UK, and I don't know if it's the same in the US, now the term's gender dysphoria, and it was- Yeah, we say gender dysphoria. Yeah. So uh, official change from a disorder. A lot of the change for that happened, if I'm not mistaken, and if anyone listening can correct me on it, I'm willing to listen, um, because it's not a mental disorder, because people associate that with being less than or something's wrong with them. And they've, yeah. they've come to terms that it's dysphoria because there's nothing physically, like there's nothing mentally wrong with you. Like you are not broken for being this way it's just there's a disconnect with the physicality and the way that you identify and that isn't a it's not like bipolar disorder it's not like an eating disorder you know it's not like something that has a mental trigger that is a is an imbalance it's a um there's there's just a disconnect and it needs to be addressed so it's kind of a softer is not the word i want to use but it's a it's a non yeah, it's softer. Okay. It's 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 less insulting. Hmm. Well, disorder is a very loaded word. Right. Um, so, I mean, my background, I taught young people with autism, and there's mm-hmm. a of things around language used there as well. And and actually, I just said with autism, that's not <laughs> the the research um, that's been done talking to a lot of people on the spectrum is that they prefer to be described as on the autistic person rather than this person mm-hmm. with autism because that doesn't match <laughs> how they feel about their That's experience and um the word that has been used there as well it's a very loaded word Getting away from it and like you said if there, there isn't sorry i have a dog and she's freaking <laughs> out apparently right. we're trying to be quiet she was asleep earlier but we're working uh, with what we got here <laughs> but yeah i don't know with like softer or it just it's it's removing a word that has this really negative connotation that like you said that something is wrong and and it's an, an, a disconnect it's a mismatch isn't it with how, how you're feeling it's not that something's wrong with you it's it's the same as i can't speak to autism because i am not but i do i sign and deaf people don't associate being deaf as a disability they are deaf it's it's an identity thing not a like that we're not broken, nothing's wrong with us, we're just deaf. And so there's a there's a separation between the two. Um, and it it's kind of like a a way to not discredit their experiences, not take them down, but also not be like, oh well they're less than because of this. And that's that's an important thing to understand mm-hmm. with when you're talking about things as a disability or especially in the queer community there's so many people that are told there's something wrong with them they're broken they need to go to a therapist and there's you don't like being Mm -hmm. if you're a trans person there's nothing 
you're not sick. You know what I mean? Like you may be making yourself sick by forcing yourself to be something you're not, but you're not, like you're not something that needs to be fixed. Mm. And and I think that's possibly more of a thing in the US than it is in the UK of this. 100%, yes. It's, I think there might be people in, in the UK who are a bit homophobic or transphobic, but people who maybe struggle to come to terms with someone in their family having that experience. But I don't think I've not heard of any situations where people being like, oh, well, you should go to this place and they'll heal you or they'll whatever. Oh, that's a big thing here. That's a, yeah. it's gross. That's all I got to say on that. <laughs> yeah. It's just, well, let's not, let's <laughs> just not go. <laughs> oh, um, anyway, so I have um, some set questions I ask everyone. I would love to Perfect. Hear your thoughts on, um, and then we may just go off into other stuff again as well, which is absolutely fine. So uh, my first question I ask everyone is what always boosts your mood or what brings you joy in your life? That's a loaded question. Like that's hard to answer. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm an experienced person. I like experiences from any kind uh, of thing. I love to cook, but I don't like to eat what I cook. So it, it's less of me cooking for myself and more of the fact that it's just like I was raised, my grandmother taught me how to cook um, and she passed away recently. I have a bunch of her recipes and cooking for us was like, a, this is how you show affection. I mean, one of my, one of my love languages is clearly acts of service. Like I give gifts, acts of service and things like that. So being able to cook and share a meal with people is a, is a huge thing for me. It's a way to show like, I care about you. Um, plus it's just on the, the, the basic level of, I want to see you fed and healthy, that kind of thing. So that's great for me. I love music. Um, lately I've been doing bullet journaling and hand lettering. So part of that's kind of what I talk about on my blog too. I do a lot of, um, bullet journaling and I've gotten to the point where it's just pretty and it's soothing. I do not like ASMR. A lot of people really like that and hearing the noises. Um, my partner loves it and I'm just, it, I'm very audio uh, sens- sensitive, but being able to watch people with like watercolor and fluid pens is something that just really relaxes me. So if I'm having a stressful day, I can just go on Instagram and look at people doing that or I can just like write and express myself. So roundabout answer I guess it's just any form of expression really like if I'm in a a crappy mood I want to see people just creating things Mm, amazing and creativity is something we talked about on the podcast before that it's such a powerful way of expressing emotions or helping you process emotions by letting it out in in a creative way and there's no boundaries to it like there's no um correct way to be creative like it's all kinds of different things my roommate is a beautiful vocalist she has a phenomenal voice um and i cannot compete by any means but that doesn't mean that just because i'm not creative that way i can't enjoy a creativity like that um same with different types of musical instruments or or dance and things like that like my partner's a dancer i'm an acrobat we're different but we still can appreciate the different things in there and I just think that that's a really cool thing that when somebody says be creative it's such a broad statement and when you create something yes you're creating it as yourself is this like cathartic I'm working through whatever I'm working through but then the people that see it it's open for like three million interpretations and that's just super cool to me mm. so my next question might also be tricky I don't know um is what makes life meaningful for you hmm 
I think it's cheesy to say it's the legacy you leave behind. So I'm a firm, 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 firm believer in like uh, Dia de los Muertos and the, the, the essence that as long as someone remembers you, you go on forever, like you are immortal. Um, and that one of my favorite movies ever is The Book of Life. It's that little animated movie because it, it basically talks about that. And as long as like once you leave this earth, you die, whatever you want to call it, you um, you still exist as long as people remember you. And I just think that's cool. So it's about impacting things, making um, whatever inspirations you can, whatever, tr not triggers, but whatever you can instill in other people. So I always tell people to be a match. Um, a match lights and it either provides light in the darkness or it starts a fire. And so you want to wake up every day with such a passion that either provides light so other people can find you and they can keep going or it ignites them where they're like, I have to do this too. And then you just constantly build this creative passion, whatever. There's, there's nothing more rewarding than seeing people doing what they love, regardless of who cares. And that's, oh, it's so worth it to me. Mm, I really like that idea of the, the match and the... It's, it's a cool analogy and I think it's just fun. Like that, that idea of when you let a match for you, it's providing like this much light. You know, it, it, it gives you just what you need. But if someone's far enough away in the dark and they're freaking out and they see a little spark of light, they know something's there. And it gives them a reason to keep going. And I think that's really cool. You know what I just thought of then? Are you a Lord of the Rings fan? Um, I've seen them. <laughs> I don't know if you'd call me a fan. So do you remember in the second film where they light all the... Um, the uh, what they called signal lights or the yeah um, the part the beacons you see them. Beacon, that's the one why I just couldn't find the word the beacons the beacons are lit condor calls for aid yeah <laughs> um and you just see them I love that scene and you just see them and so I imagine if you light your beacon if you like and then someone on that mountain over there they see it and it lights their beacon and then Rohan responds I don't know that's the it, it's honestly it's it's the nerdy way to say it, but yes, that's exactly, exactly it. That's, it, it's what you need to do. Like, I keep saying it, but life sucks. It's real rough. And if you have to do it by yourself, it's miserable. But if you can find someone else, like embrace your weird. I said it earlier too. The things that make you strange are the things that make you powerful and embrace that because there's other people like let your freak flag fly because someone else is going to agree with it and be like, my, my brethren, <laughs> my kin. <laughs> And then you're good to go. Yeah. I left my nerd mug in the other room, actually. I do have a, a nerd mug. I'm more of a hippie than I am a, a nerd. I'm drinking out of a mason jar, so. Oh, okay. Um, it, was, it was actually a gift from uh, someone that I worked with, the, uh, the nerd emoji mug. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being nerdy. It's fun. Other than that, I'm in any way, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> My next question for you, we talk a lot about mental wellness on, on the podcast. So it's actually two questions. Um, so first is what does mental wellness mean to you? And then the second is how do you look after your own mental well-being? Oh, God. <laughs> These are all such loaded. They're great questions. They're just very, um, it's hard to give a short answer. So mental wellness. Oh, thank God, because I ramble. <laughs> mental wellness is 
I guess for me, it's comfort. So it's a, um, not an absence, but a silence. So when, when you're right with everything and you can just sit there and just be like, cool. You, there's nothing going on in your head. There's no anxiety. There's no um, pressure to do anything. There's no need to fit into a certain standard. It's literally just a complete and utter, I don't want to say bliss because bliss is like a super happy thing, but um, it's more of just a, like a floating. Like mental wellness for me is literally just being at a point where it's, I'm just completely okay with everything going on. And I know that we use okay in America a little differently than you guys do. We're like, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm okay. Like that kind of thing. But it's literally just a, it doesn't matter how much time is passing. It doesn't matter what errands or things you have to do. It's literally just in this exact moment or whatever it is, everything kind of stops and you're just comfortable with who you are. That is how I explain it to myself. And I'm sure it's different for pretty much everyone, but mine is just this like little bubble of like, I'm good. And that perfect for me. Um, and it could be a, a, a different thing. It could be me at the beach. It could be me at the movies. It could be me curled up watching TV with my partner. Like it, it could be, there's certain nights where we get into bed and it's just like, I'm on my phone and he's asleep. And I'm just like, always right with the world. This is how it is supposed to be. And that's cool. And it can change as you age. It can change depending on the situation of your life and things like that. Like it can mean different things. Um, and I maintain it. I don't know. Sometimes I'm a little OCD. So like when it comes to the kitchen and organizing and things like that, I get very like, it needs to be done a specific way. And I have very uh, like to-do list things and a routine that I have to function through. And I get very out of whack if I'm not in it. But for me, it's a sense of structure but it's more like a free form structure. It's like, this is the loose bullet points of what needs to happen. And then how it all happens doesn't matter. As long as everything gets done, gets done. So that's how I maintain my mental health is just doing the things that keep, I, I know exactly how many spoons I have. I schedule out where my spoons are going to go. And then I just kind of figure it out as it happens. Mm. Does that, does that answer it? Does that work? Yeah. I think that how you answer is correct however anyone answers to these. Um, I, I do like the, um, with the mental wellness, the idea of being okay. And that's something that I've talked about before. When I, when I first started the podcast, my first ever episode, I was talking about my why for doing the whole thing. And I, I don't know, like, I guess two years ago now, I just sort of realized I wasn't really okay. And I thought it was, but I was like, oh, I'm not really okay. And, I, and I'm not okay being not okay for the next 30 years or whatever so I did stuff so I yeah I use that kind of being okay as my kind of yeah I'm, I'm okay that's the kind of it's not I think a big part of that is understanding that to be mentally healthy you don't have to be happy all the time like it's okay <laughs> it is perfectly fine to feel emotion the, the biggest thing for me is like I'm sad I'm going to feel sad I'm going to have this breakdown but it's not going to consume me. I'm just going to get it out and then continue what I'm doing and go back to this balanced state of okay. And that, that like, okay is neutral ground for me. And then wherever you go in between, so you can have some really happy days and be perfectly fine, but you can also be a really happy person and be completely unhealthy mentally. So it's just this, this neutral ground for me. It's, it's funny. Cause I was literally about to say about that. Some people say about being happy all the time. And to me, that's not, 
maintainable and if you were happy all the time you wouldn't really be happy and it's like you said that neutral and I think life is a roller coaster the ups and downs and I want to be happy at times but I think through the the down bits you learn a lot through that and I want to keep learning and developing and having that so I want to be okay and be, be able to handle that up and down rather than just I, t I said I was an experienced person and that, that's another thing is like when you're when you're at your peak you're really happy but when you're at your, your lowest point you can still find something not necessarily enjoyable but something that resonates in there so there's there's a, a point where you have to just kind of get like yeah life sucks right now but this is why this is what I'm learning from it and this is how it's going to make me better it doesn't necessarily excuse me mean that you have to be miserable or pretend that you're happy you don't have to fake anything in it but it, it it's just like a it's okay to feel these things and then mm -hmm. keep going yeah yeah well, and i think you need some of those lows to be able to appreciate the highs because mm -hmm. otherwise they wouldn't feel so good i guess if you didn't have that and it also helps you deal with people because if you're at a low point and you understand that it gives you more of a frame of reference to like express yourself and communicate with people. Some of my, obviously with my situation, some of my best growth came from being at my lowest point because it was like, oh, so this is how you process this. So then when things are blowing out of proportion in other ways, I can look at them and be like, this really isn't that bad compared to what you've been through before. Just take it and go. Yeah. Um, my next question uh, is often quite a difficult one for people. <laughs> Have any of these been easy? Oh, today. So the things that we talk about a lot on the podcast well is about mindset. Mm -hmm. Can you describe your own mindset? Um, no. I mean, <laughs> I'm going to do my best, but I'm going to say no because, as we've discussed, I am professionally unprofessional and I am a hot mess. I always talk about on my blog and everything that I'm giving self-help advice, and it's from someone that probably shouldn't be giving self-help advice. <laughs> so. I think my mindset is just like, you know, when you walk into a room and the room is a complete mess and somebody goes, where are the keys? And you're like, oh, next to the bedside table, under the sock. Like, you know where everything is, but it is a disaster to anyone else. Me. So it's just like, my life is a hot mess and I take it as it comes and it's fine. And I try to be organized and I try to make things work. I have a system that works for me. But if anyone else were to see my system, they'd be like, quick question. What is going on? So... I'm carefree-ish. I'm typically a positive person, although the way I talk is very blunt and just like whatever. And a lot of the times I'll say things and people will be like, are you joking? We can't tell because it's just very blunt. It's just very like, Meh, whatever. Um, and I have one of those loving, dark senses of humor that you get from trauma, you know, how it goes. Mm -hmm. But uh, overall, I just know where I want to end up and that's my mindset. Like my mindset is not about what's happening currently. My mindset is like, this is what you want for yourself and then just make it happen. And then whatever happens along the way is, is the journey. I know where the end point is. I don't know anything in between. Yeah. I think um, we're big fans of dark humor in the UK. <laughs> oh, God, British humor is incredible. And I prefer <laughs> watching most British TV shows to American shows because the way that you guys say things but like that's not funny and I'm like are you kidding me it's amazing like Ricky Gervais I think is one of the funniest people on the planet <laughs> he's just oh my god I he speaks <laughs> to my soul to my soul uh I've just um 
I've been watching some comedy uh, at the moment and um, there's a comedian called Rosie Jones. Mm-hmm. Cerebral palsy. I don't know if you've heard of her. Mm-hmm. It's all these jokes about being disabled, which I think sometimes a lot of people are like, oh, oh my God. <laughs> but she just completely like, owns it and, and has fun. And then, um, yeah, I think we've got quite sarcastic, quite dry humour. And I sometimes I do watch. You're my people. That's what. That's all I'm hearing <laughs> is that you are my people. But I I do watch some American shows. But I sometimes watch American comedy. Sometimes I'm like, I don't really. American comedy is very like, on the nose. Mm. It's it's very like, this is the joke. Let's accentuate the joke, mm. and I don't like that. I like wit. I like things that are like double entendres. Oh, they're beautiful. Like when people say things and I'm like, that means two things. That makes me laugh. I like when there's that that extra hint of wit in there. I like how quick the humor is. Um, sometimes American humor is good. Some of the jokes are just very blunt and very um, profane and they're just funny because you can't not laugh at that. It's like the cheap humor that everybody laughs at. But then there's other stuff that just doesn't work for me. Mm. Um, I'm big into like facial expressions and things with humor and I notice that a lot of British comedians will like say one thing and spend a good like two or three minutes just kind of looking around and reacting to what was said and that is hilarious to me. Mm. Yeah I think we also have a lot of really uh, like Ricky Gervais's humor that's just like you know <laughs> pretty offensive probably to a lot of people. Oh, but it's so good. He's if, you, just, uh. if you like him, um, have you heard any Frankie Boyle? Yes. What do you think? Yes. Of oh my God. I, <laughs> oh, it's just fun. It's just like you, you can't, you got to pick the correct crowd to listen to because there's mm-hmm. definitely people that, especially when his stuff is on, that the jokes are happening. You're like looking at your friends to make sure they're also laughing and not offended. But oh my God, it's just perfect. I think they're very fun. I'm always open to good humor. So anyone who has humor that they want to send my way, let me know, because I'm here for it. I also like storytelling humor, and I think that that's very common. Um, A lot of American comedians are like, joke, set up, joke, set up, joke. And I feel like British humor, and then some American humor is more of a, so this is the scene, and this is what happens. And it's not really a punchline as much as just like, what is going on? And I really, I appreciate that. I think it's fun. Yeah. One of the comedians I really enjoy is Ross Noble. He's like Not familiar. Newcastle. And he, I've seen him live before, and he only has like maybe two or three scripted jokes when he does a set. And the rest is just interacting with the audience. And he'll um, pick on someone in the audience. And then he'll keep going back to that joke with people. And it's very interaction-led. Eliza Schlesling- Schlesinger. I always say her name wrong. Eliza. She does... Mm-hmm. She does comedy like that where she'll like set jokes up and then her final joke of the entire set ties back to something else previously. And hers mm-hmm. is all storytelling. She makes fun of um, the typical white woman and she does this voice a lot. And it's just hilarious to me because I'm like, I know women like that. Um, so she's good at that. And she's super, she's like a feminist. She's proud to be American and all that, but she still pokes fun at everything. And oh. I, I enjoy her. I, she plays on the fact that most people think Americans are ignorant, which, surprise. But um, she makes some jokes about her own personal experiences. She's like, yeah, because she talked about how she went to Italy. And she's 
she's talking about how they went to order meat and this this the meat cuts were in grams and she's like the only frame of reference i have for grams are um drugs so this was fun and i i'm just laughing at that because i'm like that's true because no american measures things in that and it was just a very it was a very solid joke set yeah also so my dog's snoring next to me now so i apologize to anyone who can hear that <laughs> i can't i can't hear it and i'm okay. on the call with you all right should be fine um he might start barking in his sleep it's like the only time he barks is in his sleep basically um but i i had a conversation at, um with the ceo of a company I work for who was over and he's from the US about paper sizes because do you not understand your paper sizes? We, we don't understand our paper sizes. <laughs> and he was like, letter size, like what what does that mean? Like we've got this system and it's the logical proportional scale between sizes. Anyway, that's a I like the jokes where um they talk about how America will measure everything except the metric system. And it's like, there was a hole in the road that was roughly eight dishwashers wide. And I was like, we can't, we can't just use, like, we can't agree on a measurement here. Yeah, I mean, I, I use metric for most things, but the UK, we do have some imperial measures as well still. But for some things, metric makes logical sense. I don't know. <laughs> now, Americans don't, I'm lucky because I've worked with people from different countries a lot. So when we're talking about temperature, they're like, oh, it's this degrees, um, that's this. And I was like, yeah, I understand Celsius, you're fine. Or we'll have uh, driving. For the most part, I'm pretty good at, I'm pretty good at like stone and kilo and kilometers occasionally, but when it gets to like inches and stuff like that, I can't, I, I don't know how to do centimeters, millimeters compared to, um, nope, sorry, SOL. About two and a half centimeters in an inch, I think. But we, so we usually, usually measure well actually most things we probably give you a metric and uh, an imperial measurement for so like if you're measuring things centimeters you'd have an inches equivalent as well um i think people tend to weigh themselves in stone um in stones although i've switched to kilos because when i'm at the gym it's easier because that's all in kilos and it's easier proportionally but on our roads we're in miles on the road not kilometers so even your cars, like they measure your speed is not kilometers per hour, it's miles per hour? It's miles per hour, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I mean, we, I think we have like a mix. We've got into like a weird little measurement section. <laughs> you know, there's something for everybody on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, let us know if you're really passionate about Imperial. <laughs> <laughs> if measurements are what turn you to like get you attentive and ready to go, let us know. If that turns your key, please share with the group. I mean, <laughs> it might for some people, I don't know. Uh, okay, so my, my next question for you. Uh, I always ask guests that are on the podcast to leave the listeners with between one and three strategies that they would recommend that they put in place in their life that will have a massive impact. So this could be anything. It could be focused for people who maybe it might be gender fluid it could just be generally top life tips that you have but yeah one to three tips you have for people um the biggest tip i can give you is to literally stop caring so push like and practical way to do it is to push yourself so if you are someone who wears light like if you're a woman or a queer person that wears light makeup one day wear bold like one day I did this thing for a week where I just wore a different color lipstick every day of the week. And some of them I hated 
but it's just a, it gives you a chance to explore and try different things and see what you do like because I, I think most people specifically like cisgendered people because queer people we tend to explore no matter what um they have this little bubble of like what they're allowed to do and they don't think that they can go outside of it but who made those rules so so just challenge yourself like every now and then just do something different if it's a um, I want to wear different eyelashes today, or I want to wear this color eyeshadow. Just do it. It doesn't matter if it's bad. It doesn't matter if it's ugly. It's just the fact of like, no, I kind of like this, or no, I hate this. And it lets you learn more about yourself. And that's cool. Um, brain dump is great. So I use it in my voodoo. It's just literally like at the end of the night, the beginning of the day, just get everything out of your, your brain, right? Whatever you're thinking on a sheet of paper, and then just decide what matters and what doesn't. It helps sleep. It helps you just focus on what you're doing and it's a really nice way to um just kind of like sort what's going on in your head without forgetting anything because it's physically in front of you journaling is really good i like journaling i think um oh and find your thing like find the one thing that you really like and it doesn't matter who cares it doesn't matter if you have to share it with somebody or or if it's just like a, i like listening to for me i love love um classical music uh, Ludovico Nadi is one of my favorite composers of all time. He's very heavy on piano and violin. And so I will just, I have one song, it's actually tattooed on me that he, whenever I'm stressed out, I just sit down, put that song on and close my eyes and just like sit there while the song is playing. It's just a way to kind of like depressurize from everything. It's, it's a way to take myself out of everything and just like open the tube and let everything drain out so that I can get back to zero and then keep going and sometimes it's really important like even if you have deadlines or anything it's really important to just have this moment to be like mm -mm, full stop reset we're done and and understand that you are allowed to take that time I think that definitely links back into the well-being thing doesn't it finding that thing that for you is that reset and being able to do that when you're when you're feeling that you need a balloon can only get so full before it pops so if you're stressed out, find the one thing that relaxes you. And it doesn't matter what it is. When I was in college, it was a two liter of orange soda and a caramel bar. Like that, that was, that's what did it for me. I would just come home. I would drink, drink a two liter soda, eat a candy bar, probably cry and watch TV. And then 20 minutes later, I was fine. It's just that one thing that like lets it happen. It's, it's allowing yourself to be vulnerable and understanding that being vulnerable doesn't mean weak. Like they're not the same thing and you have to allow yourself that time mm. yeah that's a very important thing to remember that it shows it's great takes great courage to be vulnerable and and i think that crying is really cathartic sometimes it's rather than trying to you know you're feeling sad or angry i mean i angry cry sometimes that rather than trying to force it down just kind of letting yourself experience it let it out and then like you said possibly 20 minutes later you might be like right okay i'm good oh there's plenty of times where i've cried and people are like what's wrong and i'm like i don't know it's i'm just it's just it just does this sometimes and that's fine and then i feel fine afterwards and if somebody's like you seemed really upset earlier and i was like i wasn't i was just frustrated and i feel better now yeah yeah awesome so thank you for of course thank you for having me yeah, I mean, this has been, yeah, a two-parter because we've been speaking so long that I've lost track of time. 
had another call so we've come back for the part two so it's, i don't know how long the whole episode is going to be but um well currently on my time track we are at two hours and six minutes this is gonna be like the longest episode i've ever put out <laughs> you're welcome yeah i mean it's been fab i've really enjoyed talking to you and that's why it's been such a long episode because we talked about everything literally we talked about imperial versus metric we've <laughs> 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 important topic Related to Your well-being. podcast listener is going to be like, what is going on? Yeah, so it's an important part of well-being, obviously. Um, so if, uh, if people have enjoyed hearing you and hearing your thoughts or they want to check out your blog or your podcast, where can they find you? Um, so on social media, be it Facebook, uh, Instagram, or Twitter, it's all Token Carney. So it's uh, facebook.com slash Token Carney, Instagram.com, Twitter.com slash Token Carney, T-O- um, K-E-N-C-A-R-N-I-E and I answer most things on there but then my website is redheadrunaway.com no spaces exactly how it sounds and that has everything on it so that'll have my 52 and you blog it has my Bujo blog it has the um, links to see all the podcasts and then I have like a Patreon and everything if you don't feel like listening to commercials stuff like that that you can go in and find all that but you can find everything about me on redheadrunaway.com and it's obviously still a work in progress we're still building everything up on there but there's ways to contact find me on stuff i like interacting with people so if there's any part of this that you want to talk about just say hi and we'll go from there yeah and we can put links in the show notes that people can oh absolutely i will send everything so that people can just click and, and call it a day awesome thank you so so much ryan i've really enjoyed chatting to you and I probably- it's been fun yeah, I could probably keep chatting for another hour, but... <laughs> I'll come back for another episode later. Yeah, definitely, you should. Yeah, no, it's been great. That'll be fun. And then maybe, you know, we could have a rambling conversation, much like this, uh, on your podcast or something. Um, my podcast is literally called The Runaway Rambles, so that's exactly. totally something that we can do. Exactly. America has, has finally started doing that whole 14-day um, quarantine thing, so I have plenty of podcast time in this. Thanks. To get all that done and i'm super excited to just ramble and talk about whatever i want i'm so excited <laughs> awesome well enjoy it and enjoy the rest of the day and thank you so so much thank you so much for having me you have a great day too it's uh nighttime for you so you enjoy the rest of your evening i'm gonna go enjoy the rest of my day yeah enjoy thanks so much so thank you again to token and as i said i loved loved having this conversation and I really just wanted to come back just for a couple of quick reminders and I'm not going to talk for too long because already this has been an epic episode in more ways than just the length but just a reminder that we have our virtual well-being conference boost your well-being on the 30th and 31st of May in collaboration with light up work and a whole host of guest speakers which we've been announcing over the last few days and will be this week so Jess and I will be going live on Instagram on Tuesday and Thursday this week and next at 4pm British summertime to basically give you some more information, answer any questions if anyone wants to pop on so you can check us out there. And I also just quickly want to say anyone who is listening to this on Sunday when it comes out, but also uh, early in the week beginning the 18th, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. So I'm going to be everywhere. <laughs> I'm going to be uh, sharing uh, old episodes that might be worth having another look at because we're dipping into mental illness within them. 
I'll probably be going alive a lot um, and pushing myself out of my own comfort zone there um, and sharing a lot of information um, to yeah challenge misconceptions, offer information, resources, practical advice and for anyone who is having a difficult time really just I want people to know that it's yes it's hard it you know it can be so hard but you are not alone there is nothing inherently broken or wrong with you it's not it's just something that can happen and happens to so many of us and I'll definitely be sharing some statistics around it but I really want to offer some hope that it is possible to move through that to get to a place of being okay again Um, and I am speaking 100% from personal experience when I say that and I'm fairly open on here about my own mental health journey and particularly on Instagram um, because I know for me hearing other people's stories was so powerful for yeah helping me to I guess come to terms with it or be able to have that hope that I could get through it and, and get to a point of being okay so yeah basically we'll be everywhere (laughs) next week um as we are always talking about mental health and mental well-being but we're going to take advantage of the awareness week when lots of people will be paying attention to it in a way maybe they don't the rest of the year um so hopefully we will see you around next week and we would love if you have any particular topics that you want us to cover or any questions about mental health then I would love, love, love to hear them so that we can really make sure we are giving information that that people were searching for. So you can get in touch with me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Psyche Coaching. So P-S-Y-K-H-E Coaching. And I would love to hear from you or any feedback or anything at all. And if you are struggling and you want to reach out, please do speak to the people around you speak to someone like the Samaritans if it's too hard to speak to someone who's close to you because it can be really difficult and as Token said in this episode if particularly things around gender have um have resonated with you then we'll leave all the links so that you can drop a message to Token yeah so I'll be back Wednesday with another podcast episode Uh, which will definitely be fitting under that mental health umbrella. But if you're following us on Instagram, which you should be if you're not, (laughs) then we will also be directing people to previous episodes that are particularly relevant for Mental Health Awareness Week. So I just want to leave you with this little uh, catchphrase, I guess, (laughs) that I've been using, which is just to be kind to yourself. Meet yourself where you are. And uh, yeah, just be kind, meet yourself where you are, be kind to other people. It's not really a catchphrase, is it? Because I've just uh, completely destroyed it. (laughs) Um, But really just you are amazing as you are. And you might not believe that at the moment, but you absolutely are. And I promise you that you can get to a point where you do believe it (laughs) and that you know it to be true Uh, you can get to a point where you are okay again so that's what we're all about that's why we're here so thank you so much for listening and I will see you next week